This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Joe B, you're back. You don't look any worse for where, how you been? I've been doing great, man. It's good to be back. Although I okay. think I age in, in like pastor years and dog years are real similar. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to say that looks to be the case, but you know, cause that would be rude, but you know, we'll kind of move on from there. A couple of quick things. One that's funny. One that's not so funny from the jump here. Number one, I'm hearing from fans of ours that listen to your first ask a pastor with Joby Martin. They're like, Hey, has anyone ever told you that he kind of sounds like Matthew McConaughey when he talks? And I was like, okay, we have Texas country and then we have South Carolina sticks. And so the only way to test this Joby is we need you to say, all right, all right, all right. We need you to say it right now. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so see, I, I see you know it corrected. Funny, what's funny is I do hear that, but I, I only hear it at weddings. I don't know what it is about, like, when I do a wedding. Because, you know, you don't get fired up at a wedding. You're pretty – it's not like I'm preaching, preaching. Yeah. Um, but whatever. He sounds cool. Okay, yeah. And, you know, we don't need you to say some of his other uh, famous things. We'll just stick with all right, all right, all right. I told these people that they were nuts, but apparently I'm the idiot. Uh, <clears throat> but to transition, and there's really no nice way of transitioning to this, and just to kind of pull the veil back a little bit, guys, we typically record these three or four weeks before they come out. We're going to change that in 2024. But as of the recording of this, it is lunchtime on Wednesday, October the 11th, which is just a handful of days after Hamas uh, did a coordinated attack on Israel, killing over a thousand civilians, uh, killing Americans, kidnapping hundreds, if not thousands more. And so, Joby, I want your thoughts just initially, but to everyone listening to this right now, it's this is weeks ago, okay? So we have no idea what's going to happen. Hezbollah could have uh, attacked Israel. Um, <clears throat> there have been reports in the last hour that Hezbollah is shooting rockets at the north part of Israel. Syria could get involved. Iran could get involved. Jordan and Egypt might be playing some games, which obviously attaches to China and Russia and the United States and everybody else. So just give me your initial thoughts here before we get into some of the questions. Uh, I mean, I think my initial thoughts should be what every – god-fearing human being on the planet and, and it's just like this is utter evil and sheer terror especially when you hear uh, so like real time to us what was it yesterday when they find the yesterday. decapitated babies and things like that i mean um if you don't believe in evil itself then i don't know man you're just too dumb to talk to and, um and so i pray for israel i stand with israel I'd lead trips to the Holy Land um, every other year or so with our church. So it's not just a theological stance based on some of the promises made to and through Abraham for me as a Bible-believing Christian. It's also, we've got some ministry friends over there. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, pray for peace. Um, we also, one of the things that my heart goes out to is there are some Palestinian Christian friends that we have. Now they would also reject everything that Hamas is doing. Okay. Sure. But um, victims, victims of the terrorist reg regime, both Jew and Palestinian are to be prayed for, you know? Mm. Um, so I do think Israel has every right to righteously respond with justice and they have to protect their people and um and yet it's really really sad the amount of um innocent people women and children and civilians that are going to get caught up the, in this and they didn't get to decide where they live and they are not trying to hate another group of people and so it's really i mean this is like the collateral damage of evil man but to call this anything other than an evil assault and a demonic move, um, then you just got your head in the sand. Well, it's hard to even put words to it. But I remember yesterday, because again, we're steeped in it. Yesterday, I spent the entire day marinating in the reports, in the pictures, and the videos of what had what had been going on. Uh, because I'm teaching Sunday school this coming Sunday, and I was going to teach on another rough topic, and I switched to the reality of evil specifically because of this. And I remember just talking to someone on the phone and I couldn't get the sentence out of saying 40 babies murdered, some shot in the head, some decapitated, some burned alive. Uh, it, it's an unspeakable thing. Well, one quick question, and I, I'm not setting you up because I wasn't planning on asking you, but 
I've said to friends in private texts, and I can't, I don't know if I've said it publicly at this point, I likely will, that we should all pray for the Hamas terrorists to repent. And if they don't, we should pray for them to die quickly because they are immediately yeah. threats to image bearers of God with every breath that they take. Is that a fair statement for a Christian to make? I think um, if you just wanted to clean it up a little bit, which you were never interested in. Nope. <laughs> you could just pray for the justice of God. Because there's only because justice will happen, either. Mm. Like here's what's crazy: the Hamas people will glorify God with their lives, either in bending their knee to Jesus and being an unbelievable testimony of His grace, or receiving His just judgment. Either way, God mm. will be glorified. And so, right. it, as you get down into the details, it sounds a little grimy, but yes, it is a right thing for. For us as believers to pray for God's justice to Hamas. Okay, and here's the second awkward transition of this podcast. Let's get into the actual questions I was going to ask you. Just recently, I heard you talk about how the Church of 1122, your multi-site church down there in Florida, has grown in the last calendar year by around 7,000 attendees. And so I have a two-part question here. So number one, how in the heck does that happen? Like that, that's pretty amazing. But then the other thing you also talked about recently where you were, you were giving a sermon and your dad was there in the front row. And I want to know what it's like preaching to your father. So it's, it's an audience of tens of thousands, but it's also an audience of one because my dad's never heard me speak. And I can't, like, I get even a little bit upset thinking about how important that would be to me to have my dad in the front row. So talk to me about both sides. Um, yeah, the growth thing is, I mean, we're a large and growing church, but we've been doing the same thing we've always done. We just, man, we, we worship intensely. I teach the Bible. The biggest growth we've had is we did a, like a 14 week series in the book of James, just not even verse by verse, word by word through the book of James. And that's a rough um, book. <laughs> that's a rough book to bring totally, people to. Man. I mean, it is totally rough. So, I mean, God's just doing his thing. I mean, the real, the real secret sauce, the gospel saves first and foremost. Um, I'm not trying to knock the way other churches do it, but we know that the power is in the gospel and we preach the Bible. We preach the gospel. We stand on the authority of God's word. Um, our people are fully bought into praying for what we call their one more. Cause we think that, uh, again, we're not trying to be a big church. We're just trying to reach one more person because Jesus is the kind of shepherd that would leave the 99 for the one. And so, our people are inviting their people and God's saving them. And then we're also, we're really, really serious about helping our people get connected in discipleship relationships. I tell our staff all the time, we should never expect God to send us people we can't disciple. Why would he do that? I mean, the imperative in the Great Commission is to make disciples. So we're actually more uh, focused on discipleship than just than crowds. And um, But it was kind of a shock to me too, as you just... I don't look at a lot of the like attendance records and stuff, but because of the season that we're in, um, yeah, last November we were running about 12,000 and right now we're running about 19. So glory well, to God. Congratulations. And my, dad, congratulations. my dad being here. Yeah. Bro, I started praying for the salvation of my father when I was 17 years old. He got saved three years ago when I was 47. And mm. um, via text, by the way, I was working on a sermon on prayer and uh, where Jesus says, you know, hey, man, what father among you, if his kid asked for a fish, would give him a scorpion? And I wrote in my notes, I have a good dad because my dad's a good dad. man. He's a good dude. And I'm telling you, the spirit of God said, text him. I've tried to share the gospel with him a thousand times. And so I sent him a text and said, Daddy, I know you made a profession of faith when you were 12, like every good little Southern Baptist kid in the South did. But have you ever surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ? And if not are you ready to right now send? And then I put my phone down and I waited for what felt like an hour and a half. It was about three minutes later, my phone buzzes. And I flipped it over and it just said, I'm ready. And I called wow. him and he surrendered to Christ. So now he's moving here. Um, he's in the process of selling his house in Virginia. He's moving here. He's going to serve on our parking team. And um, yeah, it's great. He's sitting on the front row. Just, just, a new believer and listening to his son. But the thing about it is, man, my dad was always that dad that coached all the stuff and showed up mm. to all the things. 
And so even before he was super interested in the following Jesus part, he still like showed up and supported me because no matter how old I am, he's, you know, I'm still his kid. Hey guys, real quick. The financial status of most American families is not great. Doesn't that make you sad? It should make you sad. And this is going to blow your mind. According to a recent Gallup poll, 88% of non-retired Americans are very worried about having enough money to retire. And in that same poll, only 19% of non-retired Americans even think that they will have enough money to retire comfortably. That's 19%, not very much. So the thing is, though, the reality is much worse than that. So I've seen estimates that claim that roughly 95% of non-retired Americans are currently not on track to be able to retire. 95%. And that is only concerning savings and investments. That doesn't even account for people that are exposed to serious financial problems if they were to get too sick or too hurt to work. And God forbid if they pass away without having a plan to keep their family financially whole. It's just, it's a crazy mess. And that's why I want to introduce you to my friend and my financial advisor, Mike McCall with Bluecrest Financial. Mike can help you reach your chosen financial goals by helping you develop an overall plan to ensure you and your family's financial success. So whether it's IRAs, stocks, rollovers, life insurance, long-term care, disability income, you name it, Mike can help you with it. Now, just imagine the peace of mind that comes with knowing that you're taking proactive steps towards financial security for you and your loved ones. Think about the legacy you can leave behind, and it's really going to be something that truly reflects your conservative values and the hard work you put in throughout your life. I trust Mike McCall with my financial planning, so I think you should give him a shot as well. So to receive your free personal and or business financial assessment, go to the link in the show notes in this episode to book a 15-minute Zoom call with Mike. Do not try to piecemeal your own financial plan. Let an expert help you. Again, go to the link in the bio. Just click that link in the bio to get your free assessment. That is incredible to hear. I, I have a, a similar story praying for my my own father's <clears throat> salvation and just really for any of those people that are important to you. It's like selfishly, you want to see them again after they're no longer here on this earth. But that is an incredible thing. Again, congratulations on the growth of the church. But um, you kind of gave me a little bit of crap. After our first Ask a Pastor, you're like, hey, Kyle, why didn't you ask me any tough ones? Right. And I freaking asked you about, yeah, you basically said that. You're you're like, Kyle, you're not good at this anymore. You know, you're 500 (laughs) episodes in. Apparently, you're just mailing it in at this point. I was like, okay, I got you. Well, well, here's the thing. Again, I like your staff. They're always nervous when I'm around. I try to not make people nervous, but it's just one of my natural strengths. I make people very uncomfortable on a regular basis. So let's get uncomfortable. Let's get weird. So again, speaking of which, it's October the 11th. So by the time y'all hear this, this will be long in everybody's distant memory. But Andy Stanley, speaking of other churches and the way that they do it in North Point, He is a prominent pastor. As far as I know it, y'all aren't buddies. Y'all aren't texting buddies. You aren't hunting buddies, but I think maybe you've met him once or twice. So y'all are not officially connected in any way. They're, you know, they're not a network church of yours. You're not a network church of theirs, so on and so forth. At this point, Joby, everyone in my audience is fully caught up to speed on Andy Stanley and my thoughts on him because this year I've called him a heretic. I did an update where I called him a heretic again, and then I called him a circle drawing snake. And so at this point, I'm wondering... Why more prominent pastors not named Albert Moeller are not willing to give Andy Stanley the old right there, Fred, for what he's doing on the whole the whole LGBTQ thing, the double speak, the speaking one way from the pulpit and another way with every other part of his life. So let's talk about Andy Stanley. Um, yeah, man. So, well, one, I, I don't know that like when and where I would do that. And, and like right now, because you're asking me about it. So well, here's, here's a great question. time to do it. Let's do it right now. <clears throat> but in general, just just um, in general, there's a very different role between a prophet and a shepherd. And right. you definitely have more of a prophet role because a prophet just drops truth bombs. And a shepherd is trying to take a group of people to green pastures, to, you know, still waters, th- those kinds of things towards the Lord. And so. Um, I have not made it a habit to pick on or just point out other pastors' inconsistencies from the pulpit. I think the last time I did it was uh, when Rob Bell released Love Wins, and I just warned people, this book is heretical. Please don't even buy it because I don't want you to support his support what he's doing. So get a copy from a library if you feel like you want to read it or whatever, but it's it's all false. Now, when you first privately started asking me about this with the conference that he ran. Um, 
I said, maybe we should take Gamaliel's advice. And you said, what is that? And I didn't answer you on purpose. So I know, right? All right. So Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin or before the Pharisees because they healed a guy in Jesus name. And they're fighting about what they ought to do with the boys. And then Gamaliel, the chief of the Pharisees, walks in the room and says, here's what we ought to do. Nothing. And here's why. Because if it's of God, you can't stop it. And if it's not, it don't matter. Now, all I was saying to you is let's let him speak first before we decide what he really meant. Well, now he has spoken. Mm -hmm. And it's worse than I thought. So, um. I think he's one of the smartest guys out there. So many of us have learned from him. I think he is not in the same place that he was, man. And here's what I mean. I'm listening to that sermon that that you connected me with on how to listen to because he didn't put it out there. Um, and you just got to take his words for what they mean, right? So I do think his heart is is enormous. And I do think in his mind, he's trying to say, the church needs to have a response for parents with kids that are LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera. And so at first I'm like, all right, if I give you the benefit of the doubt, I'm with, okay, okay, I hear you. You know what I mean? Mm. And then the, the, the place that he absolutely stepped over the line, and I don't know how there's any coming back except without a public repentance before God and people, is the moment he said, well, he made me nervous when he said, well, people ask me what we believe. Why don't we talk about what we teach? And I thought, why are you making a distinction? Is there a there distinction be between what you believe and what you teach? There shouldn't be. All right. I mean, I don't. So the moment you begin, and for those of you listening, I am holding up the Bible. The moment you begin to think that it's a good idea to move away from the Scripture for the sake of evangelism, Jesus has left the building. I'm telling you, you're the church of Laodicea. He's outside now knocking, going, can I come in? Because he ain't in right. there. Um, Paul, Romans 1, bro. The, the power is the gospel, period. Not, not environments, not good preaching. And so the moment you begin to move away from this, you're moving away from what matters most. Now, when he began to say, when he said, all right, here's what we teach. We teach one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's the covenant of marriage. We've always taught that homosexuality, the act of homosexuality is a sin. And and we've called many, many people that are Christians to live that way. Okay, we're we're, we're in orthodoxy. Hmm. If he had said, and my heart breaks for that, and how do we reach these people with the good news of the gospel, and yada, 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 no problem. Sure. Then he says, and some people choose to live a celibate lifestyle. And this is not word for word for sure. So I'm not quoting him, I'm just trying to summarize. And then when he said, and some people can't sustain that. So they get married for the same reason you do. What? Absolutely not. That is, that's not even twisting the Bible. It's just anti what the Bible says. So right. at put any other sin in there. So some people choose not to look at pornography, but they can't sustain that lifestyle. Therefore, it's okay for them to. Nope. Some people cannot contain their anger. They try to, but they're, it's an unsustainable way. So they abuse their wives, and we need to make a space for them. Like, what are you talking about, man? Well, and let's even turn the heat up. Don't lose your train of thought. But, you know, some pedophiles can really control their attraction sexually to minors. Some of them, it's just not sustainable. Some white supremacists, they, they really can control their racist thoughts and actions, but for some of them, it's not sustainable. We would not draw a big old circle around somebody like that. We would draw a line. Yeah, I don't understand the circle and line things. Like, uh, even the analogy is dumb because mm -hmm. a circle is a line. It just connects at both sides. Like, it's still a, it's just inside and there's an outside. What are you talking about? That doesn't make sense. And I, and I don't know what he means about he's rejecting Moeller's. Moeller was making a doctrinal statement. And sure. he was rejecting, like, I get it, stylistic. I, I do know Dr. Moeller. And he's awesome, man. He's, I mean, we do many, many di things differently, many things differently. And, um, but man, what a gracious man that is, he, he believes the Bible. And so is that what Andy's rejecting? I didn't want to believe it. And he, here's the thing. If I, I'm sure we'll never talk now, but whatever. Andy Stanley preached a sermon at, at his dad's church back in the nineties when I was in college, I watched Charles Stanley preach on Sunday nights, you know, this is for internet and you could like look up whoever you wanted. 
And um, he was just better than my preacher. So I I would watch him on Sunday nights. Before Andy Stanley was Andy Stanley, he's preaching for his dad. And he is preaching on sex and sexuality. And he uses this illustration. He says, he used his hands to like talk about it. He says, there's what is and there's what ought to be. And he says, what the world does is change the what ought to be to what is. But what followers of Jesus do is they conform to what is to the what ought to be. Because God's mm. standard does not change. So our standard has to change to his. I would love to show him that sermon that he preached and say, I think you're doing the thing you said we're not supposed to do, bro. What happened? Now, I was having a, I was, I was training a bunch of pastors here at 1122. I mean, pastors from all over the country came here this week. And um, we're sitting around a fire pit talking about stuff. And this topic came up. And this pastor, I'm not going to name him by name, but this pastor was, it, we started talking about Andy Stanley, and he thought the sermon was great. And I was like, hold on. And then wow. his, I know. <laughs> and so he's like, well, I, he's like, well, what is the church's response? And he said, he, he talked about a specific example. He said, he lives next to this couple, two women, and they've adopted a baby and or a child, and they're raising that child together. And occasionally they will go to church with him and he says to me, like, well, the church does not have a, a good answer for them. And I'm like, yes, it does. It's called the gospel. And then he goes, right. well, what would you call them to do? I said, repent and believe. And he goes, yes, but it's complicated. I go, so you don't think they have to die to their flesh? I thought yeah, it's complicated I thought, for everybody. Dude, it's not, there's no doubt it costs them more, at least from the outside looking in, it costs them more. But the cost is that we laid out our whole life. Right. The, the cost for everybody is that I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So what is beginning to happen? This is crazy, man. You want to talk about how, how sharp the enemy is. The enemy has duped people into believing that you have to, that you have to avoid parts of the Bible, hmm. undo part of the gospel for what they would think is the sake of evangelism. Well, you, you, they're not getting saved, man. You have, to, you have to surrender your life to Jesus, every bit of it, all of it. And all of us do. Well, and this so, isn't, was, was it you that pointed this out whenever uh, back during the Crusades when knights would be baptized with their hands out of water because they knew their hands would do evil things? That's, you can't yep. do that. That's not the gospel. That's, right. That's 100%. Yeah, and, and then, you know, that is, I use that illustration all the time. And in modern day, most of the time, people... They have two hands out and one hand is their sexual sexuality and the other hand is their wallet. And they're like, mm -hmm. Lord, you can have everything except these two. Well, then he's not your Lord. Okay. So, um, I, to all the guys in the audience that have sent in questions again, monthly donors are the only ones that can get in on the ask a pastor with Joby Martin. I am so sorry because that. we're not going to get to any of your questions today because <laughs> we only have so much time and I got to ask some follow-ups. Okay. So obviously I, I co-sign everything that you've said when people characterize that sermon as, Hey, he took an affirmative stance on gay marriage. I was like shocked. It's like, did he really? And then you listen to the audio and it's like, well, no, not really. And he did this because he's a master communicator. He did this cagey thing where he's communicating in a way to where he's taking you down the primrose path and you don't realize that you're it's leading in a dark direction. But then let's say that he fully, you know, double stamped, double stamped, triple stamped, you know, the biblical definition of marriage. The conference that was held at his church on the same stage just two days prior was hosted by a bunch of people that were all LGBTQ plus affirming. They advocated for chemical castration and sterilization of children and genital mutilation. There were two openly gay men that presented that are supposedly married to their male partners. The, the people that were there and the things that were said there were, were not even vaguely similar to what we see in the Bible and were directly in opposition to what he was saying from the pulpit, again, not representing himself and his beliefs, but quote unquote, what the church teaches. So talk to me a little bit about that, because that's whenever I'm like, okay, this guy, I was like, is he a wolf with the snake head or is he just like, is he the original serpent at this point? And the reason why I think pastors like you, and then I'll shut up, should call him out from the pulpit 
is because of the same thing you were worried about with Rob Bell. How many people in your audience also listen to Andy Stanley, and then they're going to come to your church and be skeptical about what you're saying because Andy Stanley is a master communicator. He went to seminary too. His father is the Charles Stanley. Maybe it's Joby that's wrong. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And and he's way smarter than me and a much better communicator, which is so dangerous. Um, You know, it's interesting. This weekend I'm teaching on uh, we're doing a series on Proverbs. We're in this series right now called Live Abundantly. And so, you know, Jesus came that we may have a life and have it abundantly. And so right now we're in a series going through Proverbs of some landmines that have blown up people's lives. Well, last week was on wisdom so we could get our head around this idea. And then this week is on sex and sexuality. And so there will be no vague notions of what I may or may or what the Bible may or may not teach in regards to sex and sexuality. And God, we live in such a freaking crazy world now is I can't, I mean, we're starting in Proverbs five on adultery. I can't Mm. even start there. I have to back all the way up to boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. That's where we have to start. these. You have to back up to kindergarten cop. Yeah. Kindergarten cop. You're exactly right. And so anyway, um, And yet I will look at many same sex couples in our church that attend with great empathy. I mean, great empathy. And it would be a disservice for me to do anything other than offer them a cool drink of water that is from the scriptures that starts with admitting I'm a sinner, repent from my sin and turn to Jesus. So, um, I, on the conference thing, I haven't heard any of the content of it. I can only imagine. It's well, because it's not it. out there. It, they, they've literally, they didn't live stream it, which I've never heard of a modern conference not being live streamed yeah. at a lower ticket price. They, they'd allowed no recording. Again, we're, you're listening to this a day before I report on this to where mm-hmm. they literally did not allow people to open up their laptops because they, they had plain clothes police officers. Look, walking around during the conference and during the breakout session. So if anyone pulled out their phone, if anyone to take notes or if anyone pulled out their laptop or iPad, any devices that could record, they would not allow that. They would ask the people to turn them off. And if they wouldn't turn them off, they would ask them to leave. And so it's like you don't do that if you want your message to be heard far and wide. They, they brought in people that would be, you know, mindless disciples of their ideology to send them back out to their respective churches and communities to spread this nonsense, evil version of the gospel, which says, yes, you can you dedicate your life to Christ, but you can't touch this one particular supposedly sacred part of my life. That's the one of the most nefarious things about all this. We will never see the videos and we will never hear the transcripts. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, you know, it seems to be a bait and switch. Um, I would love to host a conference uh, that was actually for parents of children struggling with with same-sex attraction and struggling with the propaganda that's been thrown their way. But I would be, listen, man, I'm the lead pastor of this church. I will stand before the Lord one day and give an account for every single person that stood in that pulpit, whether it was on a Wednesday or a Sunday or whatever. And so I don't know how you invite unless it's a debate or something like that. I mean, I guess the context would matter. You know, if you invited somebody to your stage sure. so that you sure. could show them the folly of their thinking uh, in front of a bunch of people. But I mean, it, you know, bro, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. I think the undeniable thing is what he said about there are some people that cannot sustain this kind of lifestyle. Therefore they sin for the same reason that you choose marriage. I mean, those are words that he said that are recorded. I'm happy to talk about those. And and so now the cat is completely out of the bag. This isn't a recorded thing to a bunch of pastors on the church needs to have a response to the gay community. The answer is right. I mean, that answer is you're right. The church does. Um, <clears throat> and, and the church has done a very poor job historically by ostracizing a certain group of people because of their lifestyle or sinfulness. And so we want to be the kind of church that all people can come to and repent of their sin and meet Jesus and follow him. And all does mean all, but that does not mean, I mean, it is spiritual malpractice to somehow change what it means to follow Jesus to fit a certain group of people. So it's bad, man. 
And and it's so sad to me. It is so sad to me. Okay, then why not do your own conference? Well, I mean, we got a lot. There's a lot of things going on. I don't because there's about a hundred different conferences we could do. Well, and I've been hitting you on a few of them that you even pitched to me as ideas, but we won't let the world in on that. But I guess no, I'm gonna tell. Them. I think Kyle should host a, a men's conference. We can host it here at eleven twenty two, but I think he should do it. Sometimes his ideas are so big and so comprehensive. I'm talking about you, Mister Undaunted Life, mm. that you 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 might let like bro, you got to get your you got to get your white belt before you move to your blue. So I got my purple. What are you talking about? I got my purple. What are you talking know, about? Let's go step by step. So, but that's it. I, I don't I don't know. I mean. I don't, I don't know that that's our role right now, you know, to do some kind of parent conference for that kind of thing, but I would just do it very, very, very differently. Okay, something to think about. How much time we got left? I don't want your staff to get mad at me before I ask anything else. Oh, I'm wide open. I just got to go to football practice after this. No problem. You shouldn't have told me that because I'm going to take advantage. So staying on the Andy Stanley thing, why? Yeah. That, I mean, we can continue talking about the details and the words and the transcripts and the meanings and the nuance and the blah, blah, blah. The real question is why some people postulated and I, I've kind of gone, I went with this for a bit and now I'm kind of coming backwards that Donald Trump broke his brain, just like Donald Trump broke a lot of people's brains. There are a lot of well-meaning Christians that all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, how could so many evangelicals vote for a guy that has had, you know, three wives that says these horrible things that says, grab them by the P word that, you know, whatever, like how could they vote for this guy? And then just every time he said something mean on Twitter, they started you know, basically dying a little bit and the foundations of their life just started breaking apart, breaking apart. And so when someone said, hey, you know, someone broke, you know, Trump broke Andy Stanley's brain, I was like, yeah, you're probably right. But no, he was invited by Barack Obama to do the national prayer breakfast speech. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, what a great opportunity. But it's like, if you know anything about the worldview of Barack Obama and the church that he grew up in, that's an invitation that you you probably say yes to, but you don't give a message that he, the the person that invited you liked very much. It's kind of like when Matt Chandler went in and burned Elevation Church to the ground on accident because he went up there and basically said, hey guys, you're not David. You're not the point of the Bible. And Stephen Furtick slowly melted while watching Matt Chandler uh, on the stage. But this, this has been happening for a long time with him, but it's almost like, okay, it happened a step at a time, a step at a time, a step at a time, but then all of a sudden all at once. So why? Why is he devolving this way? Aside from the fact that the, the devil's crafty and it doesn't matter how smart you purport to be, he's going to get you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have no idea about the Trump stuff. I do know that he's really close with the Republican governors of of Georgia. So I don't, I don't know about all that. I haven't thought about it at that level. I think it's back to what I said. <clears throat> I think he's so driven to reach lost people that... Um, this is why a gospel-centered movement matters a bunch, because all of us can have a tendency to take the result of the gospel and elevate it to primacy over the gospel and see the gospel as a means to an end instead of the gospel being the end that bears fruit. So you see it in a bunch of churches that I don't think necessarily meant to, but they go down this social justice road and it gets elevated above the gospel. And that's a big fat danger. One of the things I see, what it, what it seems to be, it could be, let's, all right, if we use his own words and we choose to trust, okay, <clears throat> and we give him the absolute benefit of the doubt, again, I think there are some people and they think that in, in order to do evangelism right and reach people wherever they are, they begin to see the scriptures as a means to that end instead of the scripture being authoritative. I also think, I mean, I don't know, man, I, I'm not trying to play like pop psychology with him, but there's a lot of the things it seems that, that he did just to poke the bear because it ain't his daddy's church. And you can take that to an extreme and it, it that may have been where it is. I don't, I don't know the why. I don't know. I just, I pray to God. Well, see, I have actual elders that wouldn't let me do this. You know, I mean, they, if we began to head in a direction, they'd be like, stop, what are you doing? That's something um, I, I talk about all the time, Joby. It's these pastors that are running their church like a CEO uh, where they're also the chairman of the board, and they're not a, pa a senior pastor that is under the guidance of God but also under the uh, watchful eye 
of a dutiful elder board. And it's not an elder board made up of their best buddies that won't challenge them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. If, if, if we were friends, I would totally reach out to him. If it was some of the people that I have talked about before and doctrinally, theologically, they were going down this road. Not only would I reach out to him personally and be like, dude, what are you doing? Um, I would also highly encourage them to clarify that, you know, statements that they have made, that kind of stuff. Joey, I'm going to ask you again, because I'm tempted to go down a road that's going to take a while to end up. Are you sure you got like a good amount of time? Not like three hours, but I mean, we've already went to one very, very hot subject and now we're going to get to another hot one. That's a little bit more personal, unless you want me to take a left turn and then we can ask happy questions. Whatever you want to do, man. You shouldn't have told me that. I asked you for your preference. No, whatever. It's your show. Okay. This absolutely works in line with what you're saying. And all kidding is aside. So for those of you that can't see my face and see that it got real serious, this is all kidding aside. So you've talked about people that are kind of flirting with these ideologies and going in a particular direction. And if they were friends of yours, how you would reach out and lovingly rebuke them, call them to repentance, whatever you want to call it. So one thing that I want to ask you about is these pastors that have been romanced and seem to be flirting with critical race theory and the tenets of that and how that does go all the way back to critical theory, critical legal studies, the Frankfurt School, Karl Marx, Marxism overall, communism, blah, 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 that whole thing. And so people that have at least flirted with the ideology – uh, everyone from someone like your good buddy, J.D. Greer, that the stuff he did whenever he was the president of the SBC uh, with some of the uh, uh, amendments that they were p- putting through, some of the public statements have been weird. People like Craig Rochelle, Stephen Furtick, Judah Smith, T.D. Jakes, Beth Moore, Carl Lentz, people that posted the – they bowed to BLM and posted the black square on Twitter when – you know, St. George Floyd uh, overdosed while in police custody and have yet to repudiate those things when that same organization comes out and says, you know, free Palestine, you know, uh, support Hamas, that kind of nonsense. And then they don't come out and repudiate it. That that's, that's a struggle. But the main big struggle for me is Matt Chandler. This is a man that I've listened to since college. There is no pastor on this planet, Joby, that has formulated my theology and that I've listened to for more hours than Matt Chandler, and that continues to this day. I listen to his sermons every week. If he has a guest pastor, I say, screw you, you're not Matt Chandler. Get out of my podcast feed, and then I skip until he comes back to the pulpit. I have a deep and abiding respect for him. His book, uh, The Explicit Gospel, was the first book I added to the Christian section of our 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. So for anyone that thinks I'm about to be needlessly critical of Matt Chandler, I need to tell you that I'm a big card-carrying member of the Matt Chandler fan club. But his stances on racial reconciliation have really drifted over the last several years because in January of each year, he does a a thing that's called racial reconciliation. He also talks about life. He talks about abortion. But it seems that he's gone from racial reconciliation and now he's bending more towards racial grievance. And so I want to actually read a few things. Uh, to kind of set this up because I want to make sure the context is so unbelievably clear so people don't misunderstand me and then they don't misunderstand your response. So, uh, you know, give me a little bit of latitude here. Back in January 2021, uh, his racial reconciliation sermon that that year was called Ethnic Harmony, okay? Um, In that sermon, he said one of the most egregious things I've ever heard a pastor say ever, and I mean ever. So here's the quote. There became this now especially ridiculous notion that I'm Marxist or a socialist, and now we've got the boogeyman of critical race theory. Now I understand these tactics. The enemy has always used them to discredit and malign the truth. See, if we can create a category and jam somebody into it, we don't have to be uncomfortable. If you can create a category and jam somebody into it, then you don't have to listen. You don't have to be challenged. You don't have to be bothered. I'm literally, Joby, working out of my gym and I hear that quote and I, I about break my leg, you know, dropping, you know, weight off the squat rack. I was like, what? Did he just say somebody that's pushing back on his ideologies and some of the things that he's saying that that they're they're from the enemy? You're shaking your head, but stick with me. Then also, it's in that same, saying. okay, but stick with me. In that same sermon and some of his other sermons, it sounds like his arguments are coming from the lips of Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, Ibram X. Kendi, Robin DiAngelo, it's this racial grievance language that he's using. Then, at MLK 50, 
He's invited to go and speak there. You know, he had to stand behind the podium the whole time, which obviously made him very, very uncomfortable because he's a traveler. But he said this. Let me ask you a question, Pastor Matt. This is, you know, a, a conversation he purportedly had with somebody else. Let me ask you a question, Pastor Matt. If we find an Anglo 8 and an African-American 7, which one do you want? I said I want the African-American 7. And he said, what if we find an Anglo 8 and an African-American 6? Then I said, then give me the Anglo 8, because the African-American 6 will look and feel to our people like the kind of tokenism I'm preaching against. So this is that double speak where the context of what he's saying is, okay, this is, you know, a black person that's in a black neighborhood that wants to minister to black people and blah, blah, blah. So from a pragmatic side, you can understand what he's saying, similar to if you're a pragmatically minded person, you understand what Andy Stanley's saying. But when it comes to James 2, you know, in the sin of partiality, that that is such an thing. But Joby. Have you had Hold these on. conversations with Matt? Have you had the conversations with people like this? Because these these are reprehensible comments. Well, hold on, hold on. So I think sometimes you're a hammer looking for a nail in a bunch of places. Okay, so let me just help just a little bit, which is fine. God made you that way. Love it. You really earn the red hair in these kind of moments. Okay. <laughs> Comment one. Now, I have not followed up with Matt on those things and been like, you know, but but maybe I will next time I'm hanging out with him. I think what he's saying is, would you please listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth and not immediately discount what I'm saying because you are putting me just in a category like it happens to you all the time. I bet there are people that are very left leaning. And instead of dealing with what you are actually saying, they just go, that's a Christian nationalist that I'm not listening to him. And, and I think he's like, because when you do that, then you're not actually dealing with the things that he's saying. Matt is not a Marxist. <clears throat> Matt, for sure, is trying to shepherd his very white congregation in a very upscale part of Dallas that, um, and, and listen, man, I'm going to tell you, if I begin to poke at the bear of racism around here, my people lose their ever-loving mind. I've heard I mean, you say that, yeah. The real racist coming, I mean, the amount of, emails and texts I get. I can poke at anything else, anything, bro. But you start you start doing anything towards that. And again, what a shepherd has to do is start, start where those people are and then move them in a direction, okay? So evaluate what he is saying. And sometimes I do think a good shepherd says some things that are a bit provocative to get people to think a, a little bit. So let me be careful about this one. Like, I've only voted Republican ever, 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 ever. I plan, unless they change, unless these two parties switch their position on abortion, I plan to only vote Republican. Okay. Hmm. When I'm standing in on my pulpit, for me to bash the Democrats, I'm the large majority of our church is Republican. I say things about Trump, about Republicans, about conservatives. Where I think they are misaligned with the scripture being surrendered to Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. and people were like, they text me like, I can't believe you, Obama loving Marxist straight up. And I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, OK, yeah. so I get put in these categories that I don't belong in. Um, and and the other thing I would say is be careful on the like the black um, square thing on Instagram. You know, you say it all the time. What, what do you have to have for evil to prevail, right? Malevolent players and idiots. There's a bunch of people who just didn't know. They just thought they were pursuing racial harmony and did not know all the implications of all the things. By God's grace, he I didn't do any of that. When I was getting pressured to do the black thing, label thing, we just did Bible verses. And I told our whole social media team, the only thing you're allowed to put up over these next 21 days are Bible verses. And if I get in trouble for Bible verses, then okay, whatever. All right, so that's one. Secondly, on the seven or eight black or white kind of thing. <clears throat> um, the sin of partiality that James is talking about is literally giving people better seats at the service and at the table based on money. All right. There is like, like if you were to say, would you rather have a, this person eight or a, this person seven? I'm like, what are you talking about in measurement? Like IQ ability, that kind of thing. Because the way you grow up does bring like a diversity would need to be, um, added into the algorithm on how we're going to judge 
who's the best person for the job. And the example I would give you would be Jesus. Do you think when Jesus chose his 12, he chose all tens? Like, you don't think it was on purpose that he had um, a zealot that wanted to kill the Romans and a tax collector that had sold out to the Romans? I don't think they had the best, like, test scores on who would be the best disciple. I think he's getting like a diversity of opinions and people so that they would best accomplish the Great Commission. If I may, so though, Joby, I, on that yeah, point, if totally. I may, um, there's a little bit of lag here, guys. So if it seems like I'm interrupting them, it seems ruder than it actually is. <clears throat> but in that <laughs> moment, what if Jesus had chosen a a potential disciple with more melanin over a potential disciple with less melanin, being that that is the main characteristic, using his own words, understanding the words that are coming out of his mouth, that is the defining characteristics of the difference aside from the arbitrary score that he gave him, an Anglo 8 or a black 7, an Anglo 8 or a black 6. He said those words. He said their score and he said their race. He did not say their education. He did not say the family they grew up in, the amount of money they have, how great a speaker they are. That's what he said. So judging just by his words alone, of course, Jesus would not have done this, but in a parallel universe, what if Jesus had chosen someone because he's like, ah, you know, the disciples are kind of whitish looking, but let's get somebody uh, that looks like this, that has a darker skin complexion. That's the problem. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I, I hear you. If, if, if this human construct that we call race was that simple, then I'll give that to you. But it's a very, very complex situation. So as the leader of this church, I want our staff to be reflective of our community and the people that we are reaching. Sure. And so, and I want the, the most gifted, talented people that we can find. But people's background and the way they grew up and the color that they grew up in this, in the community that we live in, it's way more complex than I'm than, than what we're talking about because I think if you would even dig in a little bit um, I also think it would I would hope that he would talk even more about I'm trying to I'm trying to represent people and lead people well with all kinds of different people not just different colors but all kinds of different colors for sure because it's up to God what color we are not up to us but even also like like the the expression of different cultures in the culture that's represented like in your city. That's, that's all I'm trying to say, you know? Um, Cause he does take a minute to say, we're not talking about tokenism here. So I've heard him. And it's say, complex, bro. Uh, so I would agree with that. I'm, I'm not trying to say that this, this isn't thing because one thing with the level of melanin in your skin, there do come cultural components that for me growing up in a oddly diverse city in Oklahoma of all places. Again, I've talked about my sixth grade class picture. There were 20 kids, like eight, eight white kids, four black kids, a couple of Asian kids, a couple of Latinos, like a couple of native Americans. And I didn't look at them that way. They were just my buddies. That's Ivan. That's Brandon. That's Nikki. And right. it wasn't until later when people are like, well, everyone, you know, from those types of cultures and from your culture, they act different. I was like, well, that's weird because we were all just trying to get through the day in sixth grade without peeing ourselves. So we didn't get made fun of. And so like that, that was the difference for me. I guess the problem is, is so in my city, my city is very similar to where Matt Chandler does ministry. So it is dominantly okay. white, dominantly Republican, dominantly conservative, uh, high net worth individuals, or at least people that are faking it. You know, they got the Escalade, the brand new Silverado in the big house and the perfectly manicured yard. Mm -hmm. And they might be in mountains of debt for all I know, but at least it looks good. And so for somebody to come in and bash my congregation over to the head for not being black enough or Latino enough or LGBTQ plus enough, it would be somewhat ridiculous because if we are going to reflect where we are doing ministry, that just so happens to be where we are doing ministry. So that if someone does come into our congregation that doesn't match the profile of everybody else, nobody cares. They stick out more, yes, but nobody cares. The, the problem I have with Matt Chandler's tact in attacking the subject matter, which is a hot-button issue, is he's creating and planting the seeds of white guilt in these people. That's why he's had to warn people, look, 
If you're the black family in church today, you're going to have 74 people come up to you after this wanting to take you to lunch. And I'm so sorry about that. So he can almost feel the tension as he's saying it, because I think he knows he's, he's somewhat grasping at straws. Does that make sense? It does. I think, I think that would be a good example of the, uh, what I was talking about earlier. Um, the danger of taking uh, a result of the gospel which would be unity among diversity, right? Mm-hmm. And take the result of the gospel and elevating it to a, a place of primacy. So look, man, we don't we don't play that game. And we our church is growing in diversity like crazy because we've just stayed laser focused on the gospel. And I am looking for areas where we can reflect all the kinds of people that we have in our audience, except I wouldn't put the LGBTQ part in there, but all the people that that it's not a lifestyle decision, you know, but just you, you were born with a certain color. I do ideally want that reflected on our stages and all of that, but not as like I'm trying to go get it and make it happen. But that's just who God has brought to our church. And because that's who God has brought to our church, those things are being reflected in all areas of our church, including like platform leaders and disciple group leaders and all that sort of stuff, you know. So it is th- those are those are different things. So let me ask you this as we put a bow on that subject matter. Again, we could talk more about it, but we do actually have other things to do today. So you talked about like the black square thing and kind of taking it easy on people because I know a lot of people, they just saw a bunch of people posting the black square after right. George Floyd died. And, you know, they just thought, oh, I'm supposed to do this. And if I don't post a black square, so I'm going to give you a tip. Okay. So instead, so all those people you mentioned and you put on your Instagram today, I don't know any of those people. They don't run in my tribe whatsoever. So I ain't hanging out with Furtick and all those people. Now, <clears throat> I think a better tactic for you would say, instead of saying you hypocrites that don't call out Hamas and stuff, say like, now is your opportunity now that you know what that black square meant. Does that make sense? Well, let me go ahead and read my caption. Did you read my whole caption, Joby? I did, but it's like a, where are you now? You did this. But I, that's all. Like so they, What I'm calling these people to do. Right. Some of these, you know, all these people are prominent people within Christendom, at least in America. What I'm calling them to do is now that the mask has been taken off and the truth has been exposed, I think that they have an obligation to retract what they did and to explain themselves. Had that tweet not been sent, had some of those things not been said, uh, you you don't need to retract every statement. I've got 500 plus episodes of my show out. I just went back and looked at my notes for episode 10 and I'm like, oh my God, I'm stupid. Like these are not good arguments. Like that was in 2017. That was not that long ago. That wasn't ages ago. But if something like this happens and you have an attachment to an organization that is in full-throated support of that, you got to at least be like, Hey guys, I believe in the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization is obviously a racial grift. I got caught up in this. Our church donated $10,000 to our local chapter of Black Lives Matter. I can't possibly say that I would do that again today. I super duper regret it. I'm sorry. We will do everything we can to make sure racial reconciliation is a focus of our church, but we will be more specific and more careful in the future about donating to organizations that hate God. Is that hard to freaking say? Like that was that I just did that off the top of my head. You don't even have to say it publicly. You can just write it on your notes on your phone and post it. And then guess what? It's done. It's finished, but it's communicating something in their silence, which I hate accusing of people because you only communicate when you communicate. But in this exact moment, it's like, this is easy. Like this is, this is an easy spike. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I agree with you. I agree. And I know, I know you're, I know you're, you gotta be punchy. Cause it's like, I get it. It's a, it's actually a Jesus tactic. Like I get it. And again, this is kind of the difference between a shepherd and a prophet. Mm-hmm. When I post stuff, I'm primarily thinking about the people that either attend my church or or for whatever reason think of me either as their pastor or a supplement. You know what I mean? And right. so I'm trying to move people right. on. Jesus did do what you were talking about. He said some inflammatory things like gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. But he kind of mm-hmm. dropped that truth bomb. But he never really did it to the people that he was he was like discipling over time. He was way more like he kind of slow cooked them. So I get it. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I think what you're doing is just using a tactic that you didn't like now against the people that were throwing it. The silence is violence thing. Mm-hmm. Like I get it. I think that's a legitimate thing for you to say, oh, wait a minute. I was accused of all kind of stuff because I didn't say things against atrocious activities. 
what I don't hear you saying it because the silence is violence. That my problem with that is I don't ever hear anybody every day talking about the starving children around the world, but we're not doing enough for them or the thousands of children being raped every day. But if you, you know, so what typically happens, we call out the people when it offends our political sensibilities and say, what say you, I want to, I would, I'd be way more comfortable if we were, if we were being offended by what, what offended Jesus, which evil Hamas attacking Israel is offensive to the heart of God. And if you can't stand against that, I I don't know. And you are right. The organization BLM is a demonic, evil organization. And so to try to protect that, hmm. I, what do you, I don't know how you could even, with any conscience, and be able to do that. So well, and, and I do you. I do want to be fair because tactics do matter and context does matter. So I saw the headline, Rashida Tlaib, who is in basically the Hamas caucus of the the United States House of Representatives, you know, the headline was refuses to denounce uh, the the killing of children and the raping of grandmothers. That was basically the the headline. But when you watch the video, it is this troll that's chasing her down the hallway saying, do you uh, say this and do you blah, blah, blah. And this is the only thing that I will ever say in my entire life that will be in defense of Rashida Tlaib unless she becomes a believer in Christ. If I were in her shoes, I wouldn't have said a damn word either because I don't know who this person is. I don't know the context of what they said. The problem for her is she does actually believe the things that she was being accused about. But again, you have to give the benefit of the doubt in those situations. So Joby here. All right. Well, speaking of her, she's got multiple flags outside of her office. Yeah. And how about this? She has a Palestinian flag. And an LGBTQ flag. Isn't that cute? Who wants to tell her? Who I, wants to tell her that this flag wants to kill this flag? Yeah. I, that, that, I, that, you know what I'm saying? I wonder if she knows that the LGBTQ flag has literally never been flown in the country, pseudo country of Palestine. I guess unless the Chosen chooses to shoot an episode or two there, then I guess they'll sneak it in on one of the cameras. <laughs> but Joby, Joby, we've made it all the way here. This has been rather uncomfortable for some people. I can see you looking off at your staff. They're definitely uncomfortable with a lot of these questions, no, which makes me... me... Okay. So we're going to end with a softer question, okay? But okay. I believe it all the, all the same. And sorry again, these are all my questions today. Next week, or the next time we do this, we'll only do questions from you guys. Will my dog be with me in heaven? Because, Joby, before you answer, my best friend in the entire world has been here at my feet. He doesn't care about my passion. He doesn't care about your answers. My giant schnauzer, Roman the Giant, is sitting here at my feet. He is my best friend. He's been here for nine years. He won't be here very much longer. I hate to say that. When I get to heaven someday, whether the Calvinists were right or the Armenians or somebody else, and I make it there, right, will Roman be there to jump in my lap and give me a big kiss? All right, I got good news and bad news. Good news is apparently that there are animals there because lions are laying down with lambs, so that's neat. Okay. But your dog ain't going to be there, and you're not even going to care. Joby. <laughs> you're not even going to care. I already care. I'm telling you, you're not even going to care. He is going to be to you like your binky was is to you today. When you were eight months old you could not imagine life without it now you have no idea where it is and don't even care the supremacy of christ in your life is going to so far exceed all of your expectations and fulfill all of your greatest desires and the things that no i'm gonna tell you right now not that christ isn't good but you hurt my feelings just then all right i was really needing you to just say yes he'll be there all the dogs you had that you didn't like they're definitely not there you couldn't just go with me you couldn't just come with me just a little bit so how about this to to wrap this thing up i'm not that kind of preacher that says what people want to hear just to make them feel better how about that all right that wraps up another episode on ask a pastor joe b we'll see you next time thanks man Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, 
Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>